Hey, it's Jay. And like many millions of people, I'm a huge fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm such a big fan that not only will I watch the movies and now the Disney Plus shows, but following an episode or a film, I immediately head to YouTube and watch some of my favorite YouTubers deconstruct what we just saw, look at Easter eggs, project forward and look for fan theories. Yeah, that, that's me. And because of that nerdery, I have to go to a metaphor involving a superhero from the Marvel Cinematic Universe to explain why we should think more deeply about how our episodes are structured. Stay with me, it's going to get weirder before it gets better. So here's the deal. One of the characters from Marvel, Tony Stark, is a billionaire, genius, philanthropist, and if you sent him out to battle against aliens and supervillains, he'd get crushed. Alone, Tony Stark is not a superhero. What makes him a superhero is he has built himself the Iron Man suit, this suit of armor that is uniquely tailored to him to both bring out the best in his abilities that exist and give him new abilities he otherwise wouldn't possess. And once he steps into that suit, he becomes a superhero. I've used this metaphor on the podcast before, but let's bring it home one more time. We are building ourselves our own super suits. That is what our podcast should feel like to us, the voices on the microphone. Yet so often when I talk to podcasters about what their structure is, they go, oh yeah, yeah, I have a structure. Um, we do an intro, then there's the theme music, then we say something about the sponsor or the brand after the theme music, then we have our interview segment, then the outro and all the calls to action. What they're really saying is, we do a few bits of housekeeping up front, have a 45-minute unstructured interview with a guest in the middle, and then do a bunch more housekeeping at the end. That is not a structure. Today's guest and her podcast benefits greatly from having an incredibly smart structure. It is built uniquely to maximize the abilities of both her and her co-host and bring out new abilities that they otherwise wouldn't possess. And because of that, it is an incredible experience. Today's guest is Kristen Meinzer. Kristen is the co-host and co-creator of a show called By the Book with Jolenta Greenberg. And together, Kristen and Jolenta pick a self-help book, then go live by it for two straight weeks together with their families and friends. Whoever is involved in their life is caught up in it. So for example, you'll often hear Kristen talk to her husband, Dean, about what she's going through and how Dean is getting roped in. And Jolenta goes through the same experience. The Washington Post has called Kristen Meinzer one of the 22 most influential women in podcasting today. She's worked on several shows as co-host, creator, and producer, and she's also an author, a speaker, a culture critic, and a podcasting consultant. Her books include So You Want to Start a Podcast and the book that she and Jolenta wrote, How to Be Fine, What We Learned from Living by the Rules of 50 Self-Help Books. If you're asking me and you didn't, Kristen and her co-host are both podcast superheroes. And what makes them superpowered is not just their natural and practiced abilities. It's the way they've consciously and artfully and strategically constructed their show. They don't just have a podcast. They have superhero suits. Do you? I want to know how to do the things to do. Thing, a two, a three that only comes from you. Ah, this is Three Clips. Welcome to Three Clips. My name is Jay Conzo. As always, I am your host, who is so stir-crazy from being cooped up. I hope you're doing okay as we hopefully reach the last 
little stretch of the pandemic. I mean, it's been a year or a day, depending on your understanding of the space time COVID continuum. Anyways, on three clips, we have a very firm belief about creativity, which is that it happens in the minutia. It's all about the micro moments, the tiny techniques, and the refreshing wrinkles that creative people put over the top of the status quo that makes their work so good, which means, to paraphrase one of my favorite movies, Pixar's Ratatouille, anyone can create. Anyone. So we talk to some creators that we admire who make amazing shows, and we go inside their process a few little pieces at a time, because that's where the good stuff happens. And today, Kristen Meinzer of By the Book. Here we go. So I can't help but notice, basically you running a show with By the Book brings your show production into your family's reality. Oh, absolutely. We like to call ourselves a reality show in podcast form. So can you go back to the beginning of By the Book? Do you remember what it was like trying to, you know, navigate that? Uh, and, and, you know, does Jolenta have a story too? Like, how did you, the both of you get others on board around you when they're not the hosts oh, yeah. of the show? Well, Jolenta's very lucky because she and her husband met in the acting world. They both already wanted to be on a microphone, on a stage, uh, to have an audience. So for them, it was super easy. Like, they're recording themselves and the other doesn't you know, notice or care or actually just really enjoys it. Like, woohoo, I'm going to be on a show, you know? So for them, they were perfectly set up to be the stars of a reality show. And they are so good at it. My husband, he uh, was very surprised because, you know, I started recording and his, you know, inner cornball came out. He just, he, he loves it. He never thought he would be that person. He's like, I love it. I love it so much. I love having an audience. Do you hear from fans of the show about like, you know, kind of all reality shows, they become characters, oh, right? Absolutely. So are people talking to you about like, oh, your husband is so this oh, or so yeah. that? Oh, yeah. Early on in the first season, he got a nickname, which was America's Favorite Husband. And people write fan letters to him all the time. Uh, when my first book came out, or I shouldn't say my first book, because I did write that Amish romance novel. But after the Amish romance novel, my book, So You Want to Start a Podcast, when it came out, we had a little contest of, you know, uh, tag yourself in a photo with my book, reading my book, you know, somewhere or your pet reading my book. And we'll enter you into a drawing to get an audio pep talk from Dean about anything you want. And that alone drew in people from all over the world. Hundreds of people were like, here's a photo of me with the book. Dean, Dean, do you see this? Dean, I love you. Dean, give me a pep talk. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't be doing my job as a host if I didn't pull a little thread that seems very technicolored that's sticking out right now, which is Amish romance novel? Oh, yes, yes. In season one of By the Book, the grand finale of season one, we lived by this ebook called How to Write an Ebook in Less Than Seven to 14 Days That Will Make You Money Forever. And Jolenta and I each wrote an ebook. Uh, she wrote a very, very short book, which the way she describes it is like, it takes less than 15 minutes to read the whole book. That's her description of it. And my book, I tried to actually write a novel, and it ended up being an Amish romance novel. I don't know how else to say this other than to say, why? And my answer to that is, why not? Okay, now that you've met our guest for today, let's break down By the Book, Kristen's wonderful show, a few pieces at a time. But before we get there, here's just a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Wistia. In 2012, I began a years-long relationship with the wonderful group of humans that works for that company. 
They make software to help you find, engage, and grow your audience using video and through making shows. And I've talked to countless numbers of that team and consider many of them friends and mentors, and we all agree on one core belief. When you build a brand, focus your marketing on making stuff people like, not making people like stuff. Fast forward to today, and Wistia has named that idea, Brand Affinity Marketing. I've said it before, I'll say it a million times more, great marketing is not about grabbing attention, it's about holding it. It's not about who arrives, it's about who stays. Awareness is not the goal, affinity is. So if you agree, check out Wistia's Brand Affinity Marketing Playbook. This thing is totally free, you don't have to fill out any kind of form, and honestly, it's just beautifully designed. The playbook talks about stuff like finding and understanding your niche, creating original series that resonate, marketing like a media company, and measuring resonance over reach. I could not love that part more. So visit wistia.com, that's W-I-S-T-I-A.com to explore their great resources about building better brands. And while you're there, check out the Brand Affinity Marketing Playbook. So now that our audience has a chance to meet you and they understand you and a little bit more about your show and your your approach to the show, I want to break it down with you. I want to deconstruct this great work of yours and, and your co-host, Jolenta. Every episode, we use the same format. We're going to use three different clips, each to show something important about the show development process. So clip number one is about the premise. How are you saying something that matters? What's the big idea? What What is the show all about to ensure that others become all about your show? You like a little turn of Ooh. phrase there? Not bad, right? <laughs> uh, the second clip is going to be about the format. The format of your show, Kristen, is it seems incredibly well-developed, and I cannot wait to talk about that because I think it is a superpower of your show and your approach to storytelling. I love when people have a plan, sometimes visible like yours, and sometimes invisible if you're telling an end-to-end story, but structure breeds creativity. Absolutely. So I'd love to get into that. And the third and final clip will be about these subtleties that you and your co-host use to forge a deeper connection with the audience. Because while it's great if people subscribe and start to listen, nothing happens without that relationship between you and your audience. Uh, And then fourth and finally, our last segment, we'll ditch the clips and we'll talk about what's next. How are you reinventing? How are you avoiding what plagues all created work, which is the passage of time, stagnation. And by the way, a reminder to our listeners to stick around past the credits for our closing section called Play It Forward. Kristen's going to suggest a show that she loves, which is not you know number one in the charts and everybody's already talking about it, but she'd like to show some love for and, and recommend that you listen to it too. So that's after the closing credits. All right, so with that in mind, we're going to head into clip number one. This reveals something important about the premise of By the Book. So clip number one doesn't need that much context, But I will say it's from an episode called Phyllis Diller's Housekeeping Tips, which is where you go into Phyllis Diller's Housekeeping Tips by Phyllis Diller. And uh, let's go to the clip. Hey, Jalenta. Yes, Kristen. Would you say that you're a decent housekeeper? Uh, I'm the person who does most of the housekeeping (laughs) in my house, if that counts. I do not know if decent would be the word to describe (laughs) it. Um, How about yourself? Well, since I pretty much almost never keep house, I don't really know if I'm good or bad at it. I mean, you're someone who prefers to just skip housework altogether. Um, I absolutely am. And believe it or not, there's actually a book out there that's dedicated to all the ladies like me who'd rather skip the housework. I want to live by that book. Well, buckle up, my friend, because we're about to. Because I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jalanta Greenberg. And this is By the Book. (laughs) 
Your life is going down the drain. You're in so much pain. You need some help. Ooh, self-help. By the book, by the book, by the book, by the book, by the book. Each episode of By the Book, we choose a different self-help book to live by, follow it to the letter, and weigh in on whether or not it actually changed our lives. So, Kristen, what was the genesis of this show? It's such a specific <laughs> premise. I imagine there's a story oh, here. Oh, absolutely there is. So I got to give Jolenta credit on this one. Uh, years ago, before we even started uh, By the Book As You Know It, she asked, would you want to make a podcast with me? As you know, I'm always looking for answers. I read self-help books. You know, she's somebody who loves astrology and tarot cards and finding answers in all sorts of places, you know, not just self-help books. And she said, I know that you're not like me. I know that you're a critic. And I was a film critic at the time. I still am. And she said, I know you come from the standpoint of somebody who criticizes things, but I just really want to believe the promises of these books. I think we can make a show together. We can live by these books. And so we tried doing it years ago, but it was very time consuming. I already was hosting another podcast, plus had a full-time job. She had like three jobs at the time. We kind of left it you know, on the sidelines. And then I ended up getting a job at a company called Panoply, which was a spinoff company of Slate. I think most people know Slate. And while I was there at that company, uh, they were running a contest for staff members, come up with an idea for a show. And we'll take four of those ideas and put them in a contest and open them to the public. So I asked Jolenta, hey, you know, that old idea you had, do you want to develop it at Panoply with me, and we'll try to make a show. We'll see if we can win the contest. And out of hundreds of ideas, we were chosen as one of the four. The public voted, and we were greenlit and turned into a show. When a screenwriter talks about, oh, I'm writing a script for something, or a showrunner says, oh, I'm developing a new show, I'm developing a, a new project, to me, I've always felt a sense of there's a little bit of, of a romantic, a lot, a lot of a romantic in me where I'm like, oh, I want to know what that is like. I'd like to try it. And have, having now tried it several times, I have a different appreciation for it, let's say. You know, I appreciate it on a deeper level because you know what goes on and it's, it's not quite as romantic, although I get romantic in a different way. So when you're saying things like develop, and I'm using air quotes, what does that mean? Or what did it look like for this show, if you can recall it? So for this show, we were very, very fortunate. There were producers at Panoply who helped us with it. Uh, hats off to the great Mia Lobel. She was our original executive producer. Laura Mayer, who is now at Sony. Cameron uh, Drews, who's still at Slate. All of them helped us come up with the format. And then all of the producers on the rest of the staff were generous enough to listen to episodes in their early iteration and give notes and say, hey, this portion is too long. This isn't clear enough. I don't quite understand where this is going. This part drags on so long, but the show lights up when you do this. And with all of their feedback, we made many, many versions of the pilot. It took, I think, two months to make the pilot we originally released to the public. And we, you know, one of the earliest things that Jolenta and I had to figure out was how much tape do we gather in the field? Because when we first started out, we each accidentally, we thought we were being thorough. We each captured like 40 hours of audio. It was insane. We really just, you know, we had to experiment a lot and come up with that format. And the format 
we've, you know, tweaked it here and there over the years. But for the most part, we've stuck with the same format, which is we do a little, you know, 30 second banter at the top, music, introduce the show, introduce the author, the summary of the book, the steps for the book. And then her first week living by the book, my first week living by the book, her second week living by the book, my second week living by the book, with audio diaries folded throughout, and then the conclusion where we give our verdict on the book. And sticking with that structure, you know, has really been a lifesaver. But to figure out that structure, like I said, it took months to get that down. I'm always fascinated by the interplay. In our next clip, we'll talk about the format. So thank you for previewing what the format actually is. I'm always fascinated by the interplay between a premise and its format. It's sort of like this is the concept behind the show. And also this is the structure that manifests that concept in a way that people relish in and spend time with and remember and come back to. And I feel like sometimes a show has one where they're like, you know, we're generally talking about business topics and the news of the week. And, you know, we have top stories and this and that. And so they have segments, they have a format. And sometimes the show just has a premise where it's, you know, I'm thinking of, it's actually a software company that runs a show called The Science of Social Media. And I always thought that's a cool premise. Like, instead of just generically talking about social media, like, what are all the crazy experiments and data and, you know, like the mad scientist stuff going on on social media, but then inside the show, they don't really cover that. So they seem to have a premise that's unfulfilled. Yes. This show seems to have both very squarely connected. Can you talk a little bit for those who are grappling with that about how the format and the premise are related and how, how, how knowing both changes your process for the better? Because I have a suspicion that it does. Yeah, absolutely. I also write about this a lot in my book, So You Want to Start a Podcast, because I get so many questions about it. And so, um, yeah, sorry, that was like a little plug for my book. But actually... People should get it. No, it's a tremendous <laughs> book. People should absolutely get it. There are two books I recommend for podcasters, yours and then Jessica Abel's um, Out yes. on the Wire, which is actually written as a comic. That's, that's an excellent book, too. It is. Um But the reason I talk about it so much is because so many podcasters, when they're starting out, just say, you know, I love blank. Like, let's say it's food. I love food. Let's just have a podcast where I get to talk about food because I love it. And that's the whole idea. But then they start talking to a microphone or maybe it's them and a friend or two other friends. And they haven't really thought through what makes their show unique. Why are they making it? Who is it for? And what shape should it be in? Because a show needs a shape. Um, if you want to just hear people rambling and talking to each other without any shape to it, you know, you can go and sit on a park bench. I'm sure there are going to be two people on the next park bench talking just like that if you want to hear that. That's not hard to catch. You know, we can all eavesdrop on people doing that. But if you want people to actually tune in week after week, to opt in, to subscribe, to have a relationship with you as a listener, then you need to do more than sound like those two random people on a park bench. You know, you need to know all those things I mentioned, the why, the for whom, and the shape of it. And it can be a lot of different things. I personally love a gimmick. And that's why I like buy the book so much. Because like I said, we're a reality show. We're living by these books for two weeks straight. You get to hear us do it. And there are so many other gimmicks that you can do out there. It doesn't just have to be that. You know, there's a podcast called Book Versus Movie that I like quite a bit, and that's their gimmick. They read a book and they watch the movie. They compare and tell you which one they think is better. And there are so many different gimmicks you can have out there, but that frequently makes the show better. Or just think of another hook for the show that makes it more than this is a show about food. Uh, The Sporkful is a show that I used to be a producer on. And on The Sporkful, 
It's about investigating food to better understand people. And that can mean a lot of different things. It can be looking into everything from people who are third gen generation immigrants to uh, talking to people about their eating disorders to talking about the use of words like plantation in the selling of products. And so that show has a hook. It looks at food, but not just, oh, I like food. It looks at it from a very specific perspective to better know people. So buy the book has a great premise and a great premise is a great start. You still have to do the work. I think there's like this golden rule that we share as podcasters, which is get them to the end. And in this world of like, you can measure everything in analytics and follower counts and download counts. Everyone's so focused on getting people to arrive, but the goal is to get people to stay. So get them to the end. And that's where the format actually comes into play. And so I want to play a clip from by the book that I, I think brings out the great experience and the smartly structured experience that is your show. And so just to tee up this clip, it comes after your co-host Jolenta has shared her week one experiences living by the book uh, that I mentioned before from Phyllis Diller. And uh, just first, a little more context, Kristen, can you just explain that book quickly for people? What was that book? Yeah, Phyllis Diller was a very edgy comedian. Some people liken her to Joan Rivers. She didn't like doing a lot of the things that a middle-class white housewife was supposed to do back then. She liked working outside of the home. She hated cooking. Did she like watching her kids? No, she didn't like doing any of those things. She had greater ambitions. She had a snarky sense of humor. She had no problem making fun of her husband or anyone else if she felt like it. And her book, Phyllis Diller's Housekeeping Hints, is essentially just like making fun of all the self-help books back then and all the self-help columns, the Dear Heloise columns where people were asking for hints on how to be better housekeepers. And her hint on that is have so many dishes in the sink that you can't see that the sink is dirty, you know? Or you can put a bunch of get well soon cards up on the mantle in your living room if people come over. And then when they see those cards, they'll think, oh, well, I can't comment on how filthy her house is. She clearly was just sick recently. All these cards are here, right? <laughs> it's incredible. And and the episode is totally worth checking out for people listening. Like, You should definitely go and listen to the whole thing. I mentioned the clip. It comes after your co-host, Jolenta, has shared her week one experiences living by the book. And uh, it's towards the end of now you, Kristen, talking about your week one. And in this clip, you had just been sharing with us uh, a moment you were out with friends and then Jolenta chimes in. So that's what we're about to hear. How did that go? Pretty good until I got home to Dean. Listen. Honey. Oh, my gosh. The house looks so tidy. Oh, thanks, Woody. So how was your afternoon while I was out grocery shopping with the girls? Well, it was good. I cooked some lunch and then I cleaned the bathroom and the kitchen. Living room looks very tidy as well, I must say. Well, yeah, it's, you know, it's the weekend. you got to make your house look nice. Otherwise, otherwise the week will get away from you. Before you know it, you'll be living like a hoarder. <laughs> well, you thank remember you. what that was like oh, before you met me. Oh. I'm totally kidding. You were never a hoarder, honey. But, uh, you know, sometimes we just got to get these things done on the weekends. Yeah. I hope you had fun out with your friends. I did, and it was very productive. I went grocery shopping, and I bought those four things. Nice. Kristen, I don't know what you mean. Like, listen, what's the problem? You had fun with your friends. Dean cleaned the whole house and you brought home those four items. Apparently you had to get. 
Yeah, it may on the surface seem like things were good there, Mm -hmm. but I was starting to feel like something was amiss. I mean, I'm not going to lie. There was a dig about you possibly being a hoarder before he met you and then a just kidding. Yes. And then also, did you hear earlier when he mentioned life insurance? Yes. And all that calling me sweetie while explaining all the housekeeping he was doing? Wait, wait, wait. Is Dean just doing step six, reconciling the problem of having a spouse by sweetieing you? Well, that's not all he was doing. Oh, shit. Tell me more. Well, you're going to have to wait until week two to find out what I mean by that. How much of what we just heard was, I know it slots into a segment of the show, and you mentioned before uh, in our conversation that you do have this rundown that repeats every episode to bring people through, you know, what the book is and all that stuff, plus now your week one for each of you and week two for each of you, etc. So you have a recurring format um, within the block that we are just listening to, where it's all about recounting week one. How much of that stuff is is pre-planned and scripted versus, you know, you kind of have a hole and you're pouring over tape to try and fill it? Mm, I always say, right to the tape, right to the tape. That's the old journalist rule, right? Um, the old uh, documentary storytelling rule. What tape do you have? What tape tells the best story? Let the tape lead the way. And so of all the things that I capture each week, I... Uh, see where's there a narrative thread in there? How can we take the most delicious parts and tell the best story with what we have here? And, you know, I tape quite a bit that you never hear in the show. I just choose the parts that I think tell the story best. And I, I, I would say, start with the tape and then go from there. And as far as how we capture the tape, people often ask that, like, do you have a tape recorder running 24-7 in your house? No, we don't. But oftentimes, something will, you know, start in the middle of a conversation. I'll say, hold on, and I'll just hit the record button. And I'll say, hold on, what were you just saying there? And he'll go back and say what he was saying, and we'll continue to move forward from there. And at this point, Dean is so used to me saying one second, and then I hit the record button, that oftentimes he doesn't even notice. And when I say the record button, it's because it's on my iPhone. I have my phone with me all the time. It's no problem for me to take my iPhone out of my pocket, hit record on the voice memo app, and then just collect more tape. One of the things I love about doing this show is that we're talking to so many people that that I admire and we admire and, you know, and I think there's a tendency to disassociate from shows you admire and creators you admire for many people where you're like, well, they did something big or they are credentialed. And on, on this show, what we're endeavoring to do is bring out the micro moments and the hidden techniques into the light because I think there you'll find like we can all do any one of these little things. And it's just about how we combine them and the practice we put in and the consistency and having the vision for where the show is heading. And so the iPhone example there is such a perfect one. Because I, when I started podcasting, I always thought there was some hidden apparatus that I, if I was going to go out in the field or have somebody talk to me and I was like kind of on the go, I needed something like, you know, the shotgun microphone <laughs> and, the, and the cans on my ears. Like I needed to look the part. And what I've kind of realized is you don't need to look the part from a technical standpoint, but you do need to act as if. You do need to enter those moments and be like, I am creating not a podcast, I'm creating a show. So I have the confidence to walk up to my husband or or record this moment and be like, this might be usable and be that investigative, creative, curious person. Not because you've been formally trained, although I know, you know, you worked for Panoply, which spun out of Slate and you have this book and you have all these shows you've worked on. Like someone could easily look at your bio and your resume and be like, I could never do what Kristen does. And yet you're like, it's my iPhone, man. Mm -hmm. Like, and we can all do this. Yeah. And when I first started podcasting, I had never podcasted before. And that's probably true of everybody who podcasts. You know what? When you make your first podcast, it's your first podcast. And I started 
oh gosh, 12 years ago, I think it was, I was making the pilot for my first podcast. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I made so many mistakes that I now try to talk other people out of doing like, oh, I just figured the longer, the better, more content, the better, more banter, the better. Look at how human I sound. I made so many mistakes like that in the early days. And um, I also think a lot of people make the mistake to go back to the iPhone example of getting so caught up in the equipment, they don't think about the harder things like the story, the relationship with your listeners, the narrative. You're there not just to ramble on. You're there to take people on a journey and to be a companion. And if you can't do that, it doesn't matter how expensive your microphones are. And for crying out loud, don't listen to all the tech bros out there who keep insisting you need to upgrade your mic and your sound system and your you know computer equipment. And you know it's so easy to get caught up in that. And I'm just going to tell you, I hosted five podcasts last year. And those included not just my podcast for Stitcher, but for the New York Times, for other big names. And I am in a closet right now using all secondhand equipment that cost $120. You know, you don't need to get caught up in the tech game. That stuff is easy. Right. It's really easy. Watch a few YouTube videos. Practice for, you know, you know, 20 or 30 hours. The hard part is developing that story and that structure and learning how to be a good companion for your listeners, knowing who they are, reaching them where they are. Well, let's go to the third clip, which is we've moved past your premise. We've moved past your format. This one's a little more subtle, which is, you know, once people subscribe and you're structuring things in a way that you expect they'll stay, Bringing out your personality, your quirks, your point of view, using that wonderful tool, which is a creative tool now for podcasters and communicators, your actual voice. It's very subtle. It's this delicate dance. I love figuring out how others do it and do it well and trying to adapt it. It's just, again, I get romantic about the creative craft. And that's where I think a deeper connection is really forged between you and your listener. So I want to play a clip where to me, it's an example of how you can elevate beyond a relevant, enjoyable show to someone's favorite show because you have that personal connection, that feel to it. So in this third and final clip, again, the same episode, Deconstructing Phyllis Diller's book or Living Out, I should say, Phyllis Diller's book. This is towards the end of the episode and it's in the middle of your reflection on how you feel living by this book. Let's go to the third clip. But as you know, as far as my personal life goes, I already kind of live the Phyllis Diller homemaker life. Mm -hmm. um, I don't do anything in my house. Right. And when I lived by this book, I really just amped up the nothing even more mm -hmm. until, of course, Dean turned the tables. Right. And I have to say, I'm glad he did because he does so much to take care of me and our home. And at the end of the day, it was actually fun to work with him side by side in the kitchen. It was fun to hang up laundry with him. And, you know, even if it was just for a week, it kind of made me appreciate everything he does a little bit more. Oh, nice. So my verdict on this book is read it, do it, especially if you have inequities as far as who does what work in the household. The book may shine a light on those inequities and they may cause you to laugh a lot along the way because yes, I laughed yes, a lot exactly. during this book. So what struck you about that performance? I almost said that read. I do have a question about the writing, the prep of that section. But what did you notice just hearing that clip again? Well, I think that listeners like to hear a mix of vulnerability and of confessing things that may 
not necessarily be our proudest things to confess those. I think they like to hear kindness from us and they like to hear solid takeaways. And if there's a way to mix all of those into one place, I do try to do that. I do try to show some vulnerability. I do try to not depict myself as the smartest person in the room, but the person who maybe is eager to learn. I reveal things that not everybody likes. For example, you know, I, I do, by the way, get hate mail sometimes. I One of my stances is that I think forgiveness is overrated. And a lot of the self-help books we live by insist that we must forgive at all costs. And I don't think everything needs to be forgiven. And so I, I have certain positions that I'm strong on. But I also, again, try to show my vulnerabilities to show my mistakes. And I also I, I don't think I have much of a radio voice when it comes down to it. I think I sound kind of human, even though I got my start at WNYC, one of the biggest public radio stations in the world. Even back then, people would write in and say she doesn't sound like a radio person. She has that weird accent. I'm, I'm Minnesotan, which by the way, is an outstanding accent. It's not weird. I have a lot of pauses. Uh, one of my friends put it this way. She said, you have Obama pauses. Anybody who's ever had to listen to a speech by Barack Obama and trim it together for their TV or radio job knows what I mean by Obama pauses. And I have certain you know, figures of speech and all my puns that I make, all these things that you know are not necessarily the most polished, but I do like to think that I come off as very human and that helps quite a bit in my delivery. I don't think you need to sound like Ira Glass. You don't need to sound like Terry Gross. You just have to sound like yourself. I really appreciate you opening up and talking about that, Kristen, because we've talked a lot about in past episodes about, you know, using your voice to connect with the listeners. That's what the section is for. What hasn't come up is when people disagree or dislike it and you actually hear from those people, you know, and you even said it's hate mail. How do you handle that stuff and keep pushing forward and keep creating? Because I think that's enough to derail people, whether it's a week, a day, or even a project. Well, first and foremost, I have to remember that I'm very, very lucky to have listeners at all. And it's okay if some of them don't like me. Not everybody has to like me in this world. That would be very odd if everybody liked me. And then we also try to be strategic about what we do with that mail that comes in. So in addition to our main episodes where we live by self-help books, every other week we release a, what we call an epilogue episode. And that is an episode where we follow up on the aftermath of the book and we read a lot of the mail that comes in. We can't read all the mail. We get hundreds of letters a week, but we read those criticisms back to people so they can hear what they said to us. We read back uh, the compliments. We read back the questions. We read back what we can and make sure that everybody feels that they have a place at the table, that they're living along with us and not just listening to us, that they're a part of our community, that we care about them and we value their opinion. Even if they don't agree with us, we value their opinion. We appreciate they took the time to write to us. Oh my gosh, how much work is it to actually sit down and write to people? You know, most of us don't bother to write thank you letters, much less write a letter to somebody who hosts a podcast. So we value them and we appreciate them. And then you might be surprised to know how often people write back later and say, I'm sorry, I was really harsh. You made me feel seen by reading my comment. Thank you. I didn't see things from your point of view there. I was projecting. I'm sorry. Or in other cases, they say, I still stand by my criticism, but I really appreciate you addressed it. Yeah, that's fantastic. When you think back to the early, this is season seven that you're in mm -hmm. right now, uh, which is wild. I want to get into that in our, in our fourth and final segment coming up. But when you think about the early episodes, 
how did you create an environment and a deep enough connection with your audience that when you said, email us, tweet us, write in, respond to this prompt or answer this question that people actually did? Well, I think with by the book, we have one thing to our advantage. And that is that Jolenta and I are so forthcoming with our own stories. And those stories are sometimes very painful and sometimes very embarrassing. They're about mistakes we've made. They're about, you know, sexual abuse that we've had to live through. They're about um, eating disorders that we've struggled with. So we're putting so much of ourselves out on the table that for somebody to write in and share their own story, hopefully it's a little easier for them. Because a lot of people write in and say, you know, after our third episode of the show in season one, we lived by a book called French Women Don't Get Fat. And that was a real game changer for us because, you know, our first- I'm sorry, the name again? The name again? <laughs> French Women Don't Get Fat. And it was an international bestseller. It was on the bestseller list for, I forgot, maybe five years. But- um that book was the first one where I really felt I got incredibly scared and vulnerable with everything I was taping. And I was so scared before that episode went out into the world. But after that episode, that's when we really started getting mail like crazy. And, you know, Jolenta from day one, I will give it to her. She's always been very good about putting all of her things on the table. And after that, I became much better at it, too. And the more we were willing to share, I mean, I want to make clear, we still have our boundaries. It's not like we're going to share 100% of everything that's near and dear to us, but we share a lot of it. And when that happened, people felt safer coming to us and saying, hey, I went through that, too, or I didn't have the same experience as you, or this is what happened to me when I read that book, or these are things that keep me up at night that I worry about. And so I really got to give Jolenta credit for, you know, in the very beginning, being vulnerable, encouraging me to, so that by episode three, I was crying and opening up. And then um, I got to give an enormous amount of credit to our listeners because it's their choice to write to us. It's their choice to share their stories. And I think when you are living by self-help books, you already feel that something is not quite right, possibly. And so to hear somebody else speak those things that maybe you feel are not quite right, it becomes kind of symbi- symbiotic. So thank you to the listeners. Thank you to Jolenta. That's, that's how we do it. Let's move to the final segment, which is when we talk about we're going to leave the clips behind. There is no clip for this because we're going to talk about what kills so many projects meant to be delivered consistently over time, which is stagnation. And I do feel like, you know, somebody could look at a show like yours and say, oh, you've had this this rundown that persists every episode, this template or format, and oh, you know, they're going to have to really change it up as they go. And here you are in season seven, and I'm sure there are things that you've reinvented and played with and changed over time. Rather than look back, I'd love to look ahead and think about as you continue the show, what are things you're dying to try or play with or experiment with to keep the show fresh? Well, I can't tell you because we're in production on season eight right now and we have to keep that top secret. So I can't tell you. I will tell you that there is a theme to season eight that we have wanted to do for quite a while. I won't say more, but our theme seasons are some of our favorite seasons. So this past season, uh, season seven, was all about hearth and home. 
And uh, we came up with that idea because we wanted to do something where we would get our hands dirty and actually go through physical steps of doing things. And then, of course, COVID hit, so we were all trapped in our homes. So it ended up being the perfect theme for a season. That's one way we've kept the show fresh is we'll change up the themes. And you're never going to run out of self-help books because there are millions of them. So you can always change up the theme if you want to for a season. And that's helped quite a bit. So Kristen, this was incredible. Thank you so much for coming on. People should listen to buy the book. They should also buy your book. (laughs) Fun with words here on Three Clips. Uh, Some shows say thank you to their guests by sending them swag or handwritten notes or a lengthy email. What we do is we place a small donation in our guest's honor, in your honor, to No Kid Hungry. Um, As a way of saying thank you, not only is it a cause we believe in, it's so acutely painful now for so many families going through the pandemic and the economic crisis to feed their families. There's too many children who are food insecure. So I cannot thank you enough, Kristen. We're going to place that donation in your honor. I encourage listeners, if you can, if you're listening to this and you can't afford it, head over to nokidhungry.org. And also head over to wherever the search functionality is in your podcast player and listen to buy the book. Thanks, Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Every time you do, you're supporting an independent show built by independent creators. This episode was produced by Cherie Turner. Original theme music by Cardboard Rocket Chip. And a big thanks to our presenting sponsor, Wistia, which offers tools for podcasters and video marketers who believe in making business more human. You can check out their tools or watch their original series. They have several video and podcast shows all about building modern brands. That's at wistia.com. Lastly, you can subscribe to my newsletter called Playing Favorites. It's for creative people who want to push aside all the noise and just make what matters most. We want to make our audience's favorite things, the things we love and others love too. That's why I called it Playing Favorites. So if you're interested, you can get a free story from me and a roundup of all kinds of projects that I work on, exclusive discounts to products like my membership group for creators and more at jayacunzo.com slash newsletter or check your show notes for a link. And now here's our bonus segment. Each episode, we ask our guests for a podcast that they'd recommend that is not at the top of the charts, a show they'd like to show some love for. We call this segment Play It Forward. Well, I have a little indie side project, and it is called Movie Therapy with Rafer and Kristen. It's just a little indie show. He and I tape it once a week, and it's an advice column show. People write in with their quandaries, and then Rafer and I administer a mix of advice, as well as one movie and one TV prescription for each person who writes in. And the questions range from, you know, the romance has left the building in my marriage, please help, to I can't stop fighting with my husband, to uh, I no longer feel motivated to work, to I've turned into a judgmental monster because every time I see somebody without a mask, I want to punch them. Uh, We get hundreds of predicaments that, you know, have come in. We launched the show back in April, and now it's been about 10 months of the show. And like I said, it's just a little indie show. It's a pet project. We love doing it. And it mixes so many things that we love together, the advice format, reviewing movies and TV shows, and then just having relationships with our listeners. And all of those things combined make us so happy. All right, that's it for this episode. I'm Jay Akunzo. And as always, I believe... This work you and I do is not about who arrives. It's about who stays. That's what great marketing is. That's what great creative is. That's what great show running is all about. Not about who arrives. It's about who stays. So huge thank you to you for staying with me 
and I'll talk to you this coming Monday with a brand new episode of the show. See ya.